While it may be difficult sometimes to love one's neighbor, it seems almost impossible to love one's enemy. How can we love the one who would kill us? How can we stretch out the hand of mercy to the hand that has hurt us? We believe in our hearts that God is on our side. Even St. Paul says, if God is with us, who can be against us? If God is with us, if God is with us, God must be against those who are against us. If God is with us, God must not extend grace and mercy and success to those who hurt us. We have had this debate publicly and loudly since 9-11, have we not? And actually, since the founding of the country, when you come to think about it. We are righteous. We are generous. We are well-intended. But under extreme stress, we say that those who would kill us are wrong. They are evil. They are godless. Without God. The readings we hear today bear the message that no one is godless, no matter how dangerous to those of us who believe ourselves to be the holy people of God. Joram, the king of Israel, finds himself in this position when Naaman, the great Douglas MacArthur, the great Dwight D. Eisenhower, the great George Patton of Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, comes to him so that Joram might cure Naaman of his leprosy. Joram is baffled. He is frightened. He is enormously skeptical. This must be a trick, a pretext for not another opportunity for Ben-Hadad to pound Israel into the ground. Why should Joram help this man who has brought so much destruction on his people? Ben-Hadad cannot for a moment think that Joram can actually cure leprosy Leprosy is synonymous with death. There is no cure. For Joram, although he is the king of Israel, the ruler of the holy people of God, and the servant of Yahweh, is ambivalent about the power of his divine master. Joram has kept the golden calves and other idols just in case the power of this one God does not prove enough. And so it's not surprising that he might not immediately think to turn to God when his arch enemy comes to him for a miracle. And this is all the more ironic because of the way that Naaman comes to Joram. Naaman comes because a slave woman of Ben-Hadad's wife remembered that in Samaria, where the kingdom of Israel is living now under Joram, there is a very talented prophet named Elisha who is a well-established miracle worker. Ben-Hadad is in no way interested in Yahweh. He is a worshiper of Rimen. He has no concept of Elisha's faith. He thinks that Elisha the prophet is a man in Joram's employment, someone who has a new, perhaps secret, cure for leprosy. He doesn't imagine, as the slave does, that Elisha has found the connection to the source of all life, that Elisha is only the pathway. It is a measure of Ben-Hadad's desperation that he even listens to his wife's slave, and a message to us 
about the problems that institutions of power have, giving up the idea that all good things come from that power and not from God. Truth comes in this story from the mouth of a woman who has been dispossessed of her whole life, not from kings and generals. Naaman doesn't find what he expects when he meets Elisha. Elisha isn't bothered by Naaman's worship of other gods or by the fact that he has brought war against Israel. Elisha knows that anything that happens to Naaman by way of healing is not about Naaman or Elisha, but about God. Again, Naaman balks at what he is asked to do and is set straight by slaves who tell him to trust in the power of Elisha's faith. Naaman has no category for this prophet who does not mistake himself for God. Elisha's message is that God, who is gracious to all, will give you what you seek when you surrender, when you dip yourself in the Jordan. A baptism of sorts. An experience of the radical, welcoming, healing hospitality of God and certainly a foreshadowing of the gospel of reconciliation, which comes with Jesus. When Jesus reaches out to touch the leper in this story, he says in that gesture more than he ever says in words. He touches the leper, taking on the leper's unclean status to himself. He says, in essence, I am with you and I am for you, no matter who you are. The fact that you may be dangerous to me does not exclude you from my love. This leper is further along than Naaman was in his belief in an all-gracious God. This leper believes that Jesus can cure him if Jesus wants to do so. If Jesus wants to do so. If Jesus thinks it's worth it. If Jesus will reverse centuries a rigid social code forbidding anyone to have contact with lepers. If Jesus will accept the unclean, heretofore godless state of the leper as his own. These two stories reveal the wild and mysterious nature of God. God is available to and merciful toward those whom we hate and fear even though they believe in women and contact with them is dangerous to us. This is a fantastic idea. God is available to and merciful toward Al-Qaeda, toward the Taliban who kills our soldiers, toward the person who hurts our children, toward the sniper who got our neighbor. This is no human idea. I don't want the people who love me to love the people who hate me. Either you're with me or you're with my enemies, but not both. I can't understand it. It doesn't make emotional sense. But that kind of thinking comes from the idea that love and forgiveness come in fixed quantities and that the people with power decides who gets how much. Naaman had no idea that the God who made him and loved him would heal him. He thought that he had to find someone who had made some god somewhere happy, some god who was controlling the fixed amount of healing in the world, a lot like he and Ben-Hadad were controlling the world. And then he would have to bribe someone to intercede with that god on his behalf. 
And then from the very people whom he has dispossessed and disenfranchised comes the good news. From these broken people comes the gospel of reconciliation. Love is always present to those who surrender to it. We who profess to live by this gospel find ourselves in terrible times. Threat is all around us. We hear the shouts and murmurs about the godless among us. We hear the suggestion that, in fact, God prefers one political agenda to another. We see the struggle in our own Episcopal Church in which some lives are characterized as godless, ungodly, and therefore should be excluded. The good news of the readings today is difficult news. It is that we cannot use our identity as the people of God to exclude anyone. There is freedom in that. We never have to decide where mercy and love belong. They belong to everyone. There are no others to whom God is not available. It is for us to follow in Elisha's footsteps, to open our hearts and our resources to those whom we fear most. Only then can we say that God is with us. And we are, in Paul's words, running the race as if to win. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorMV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace. We hope to greet you in person very soon.